Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Today's data, prices for other goods are not rising nearly as fast as the price of gasoline. That does signal a slow but steady improvement, a getting an improvement in getting those rising prices under control. And don't forget, tonight News Nation is hosting an exclusive live hall, town hall with former Vice President Mike Pence. Leland Vittert hosts the event with live audiences in Chicago and Des Moines, Iowa. Tune in at 9 p.m. Eastern only on News Nation. I'm Elizabeth Vargas. We'll see you right back here tomorrow night. Have a good one. program tonight, Herding Cats. All we're looking at in an impeachment inquiry is answering the question. Can Kevin McCarthy keep his house in order while the White House brings in refs to blow the whistle? This is part of the right wing's misinformation machine to try to confuse people uh, about what the truth is. Both sides entering the impeachment ring, but is this a fair fight? Stop and go and then up again. There's no uniformity just yet, which makes things complicated for EV charging companies. The new report that says even Pete Buttigieg can't charge his EV, proof that once again, soccer moms really do know best. An opening in Iowa. New polls spell trouble for Trump in the heartland. Leland previews a town hall with one man hoping for a Hail Mary in the Hawkeye State. Is this heaven? And stop the presses. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. The Swifties have spoken. We'll tell you how one megastar became her own beat. Good evening. I'm Elizabeth Pran. Leland is preparing for tonight's town hall with Mike Pence. First tonight, Washington isn't ready, but the battle lines are already drawn for a political boxing match. Both parties have squared off and impeachment efforts are underway in Congress. In the red corner, House Speaker Kevin, the Bakersfield bomber McCarthy, and of course in the blue corner, you guessed it, President Joe don't call it a comeback, Biden. And one could argue that these two fighters stepping into the ring are tired, even battered. Take, for example, McCarthy's clash today with reporters questioning the evidence. You do know from your own reporting from CNN that the president went to and did conference calls, that the president went to lunches and dinners, just the dinners, and the, and Hunter got a new Porsche. He got three bucks well, for the but, both. I, but, but, the that, but, that, but that's my question to you. Why don't you ask the other questions? Why don't you I want do to ask? No, you, you never want change your position. I never changed my position. You, you don't, don't, you don't want want, days ago. You know what's interesting to me? So you don't care about any of the answers. And as in every fight, enter the white and black stripes, the referees. The White House just sent this memo to media outlets today titled Time for the Media to Do More to Scrutinize House Republicans' Demonstrably False Claims that They're Basing Impeachment Stunt On. Think about that. Evidence or not, the White House is asking the media to shut down the impeachment inquiry before we get the facts. The spokesperson behind the memo 
is already out on his media tour. It's a bunch of malarkey. There's nothing there. Uh, and they keep going after him and his family, despite having no evidence to do so. And to be fair, the press is doing its part. Republicans have often cried foul about the lack of coverage of the president's age. But even the Washington Post is taking note. With this new op-ed, President Biden should not run again in 2024. He writes, I don't think Biden and Vice President Harris should run for re-election. It's painful to say that, given my admiration for what they have accomplished. But he and Harris campaigning together in 2024, I think Biden risks undoing his greatest achievement, which was stopping Trump. So consider that the first domino to fall shortly after MSNBC aired this. Well, let me just say, Democrats off the air will say Joe Biden's too old. Why is he running? On the air, they won't say that. So you, the voters, have already spoken on this matter. Polling is clear. Americans are worried about the age of the president and his leading Republican opponent. In fact, our new poll from Decision Desk HQ shows 80 percent of Americans are somewhat or very concerned with the president's age. Sixty three percent say the exact same thing about former President Trump. And just today, Republican Senator Mitt Romney did something remarkable. He showed that stepping out of the way is not only possible, but possibly responsible. He called on Mr. Trump and Mr. Biden to do the same. I think it would be a great thing if both President Biden and former President Trump were to stand aside and let their respective party pick someone in the next generation. Yet here we are entering a new stage in the never-ending political fight between red and blue, and both sides are already beat up, if you will. Republicans in Congress will search far and wide for evidence linking President Biden to a crime, and only time will tell if there is any evidence for us to look at. So joining us now, Phil Wegman, Real Clear Politics, White House correspondent, and Chris Hahn, host of the Aggressive Progressive podcast, also a News Nation political contributor. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. You know, Chris, I want to start with you. Your thoughts on, on Mitt Romney today. I watched him give his remarks today. I thought they were wonderful. And as a Gen Xer who feels that we have next and haven't had our turn to lead, uh, I agree with him fully. Now, look, uh, Joe Biden, if he wants to run for president, is going to run for president. And I think he deserves another term. I want to know who the 20 percent of Americans are who are not concerned about his age. I support Joe Biden. I think he should be given another term. And I am concerned about his age, uh, as I think we all should be. So what Mitt Romney said today was actually good. I do think leadership is about handing it off to the next generation and preparing the next generation to lead. So hats off to you, Senator Romney. I think you're going to be missed in the Senate. I haven't always agreed with you, but I've always admired you. Okay, Philip, your response in that. And then I also want you to weave in the response on, uh, do you think voters really want to be talking about impeachment right now? They really just want to keep the government up and running October 1st. So time is going to tell how impeachment favors one party over the other. Clearly, we've already seen from the White House that they want to focus on some of the substantive legislative work, their agenda, rather than get into the uh, the weeds of this impeachment. I think that what is so interesting about this sidebar uh, with Senator Romney, though, is he is presenting an alternative. He's showing how you can gracefully step aside, that you don't have to uh, stay in the Senate until right before um, you know you, you head for the exit here. And I, I think that the other thing that I don't want to get lost in, in all of this is 
In Mitt Romney, you have someone who was once the standard bearer for his party, but in the course of about a decade, he is completely out of the Republican mainstream. And I think that we are going to be studying uh, his time in the Senate as perhaps uh, a reflection of just how much the party and the conservative movement has changed. Okay. Okay, when you talk about, well, first of all, Chris, I want you to respond. When you talk about folks behind the scene, yes, you have Mitt Romney leading by example. You could say that former President Trump is leading by example, maybe encouraging some of the impeachment talk here. I know we're kind of segueing into this, but, you know, do you want to see leaders like that having those discussions right now? I'm trying to figure out how Trump is leading by any example at all. The man is a disaster and a disgrace to the presidency and to the country. The impeachment hearings are only going to help Joe Biden. That's why uh, that's why Speaker uh, McCarthy did not bring it to a vote on the floor in the House of Representatives, because he had at least 19 members who were going to run for the hills and he can't afford to lose more than four. And there's probably 100 other members who are annoyed by this. He's catering to the most extreme wing of his party that is fully, uh, you know, being led on by by Donald Trump yes, to do yes, this. But Chris, and that it's ex- ridiculous. That extreme you wing have, of the, the party. The House of Representatives has every the House of uh, the House. The House of Representatives has every opportunity to investigate the president. They have the committee process. They can do that. They've been doing that. They've uncovered nothing. There's no smoking gun. There's no evidence that Joe Biden committed any crime. And, there, and, and it's kind of a ridiculous exercise brought on by guys like Matt Gates who are going to bring Kevin McCarthy down. Okay. Well, okay, okay. But that far right party has the phone number of who you just said, Speaker McCarthy, Philip, do they not? Yeah, I think what we are seeing currently is that the Freedom Caucus and a number of other conservatives on Capitol Hill are really pressuring McCarthy from his right to move more quickly on this. Previously, of course, he had said that if there was going to be an impeachment inquiry, he would bring it for a vote. Now he's going forward without a vote. Generally, though, uh, I think that, um, you know, if we set aside some of this this parliamentary question, uh, what I'm interested in is the substance of the allegations that we've heard from Republicans thus far. McCarthy put this into three buckets. He noted uh, that uh, President Biden allegedly wasn't straight with the American people on knowledge of his son's business engagements. He noted that there was uh, $20 million in foreign dollars coming into uh, Biden family and their associates' bank accounts. Uh, and then he also argued that there was facilitation between the former vice president's office and Hunter Biden. But there has not been a direct connection between the president and wrongdoing. And Republicans, if you speak to them, they will argue that that's why they need this impeachment inquiry, that then they can move forward with subpoena power. I think that, uh, you know, their best hope for impeachment is that they find more evidence and in a hurry, not just smoke. Okay, and Philip, I, I asked you this question, and I'm going to have to pass it off to Chris now before I let you go. Chris, as a voter myself, I'm really just concerned about the next 30 to 60 days. I, I don't think that lawmakers should be concerned about impeachment when we're talking about funding the government. What do you say? Yeah. I say that Kevin McCarthy's got a real problem on his hands. The Senate, through bipartisan votes during regular order, passed appropriation bills for the first time in God knows how long. The House of Representatives have no bipartisan votes on this, and they're going to have to go to a conference committee. And I don't know what Kevin McCarthy is going to be able to get past this House of Representatives. After watching people like Representative Gates go to the House floor after Kevin McCarthy just capitulated to him and then drag him. Now, one thing I will say for Kevin McCarthy, there is no one to replace him in the House of Representatives. So Matt Gates can bark all they want about removing him. 
There's no consensus Republican that's going to win then. So there'll have to be a compromise candidate like Hakeem Jeffries, which would be great for me. All right, Philip, you have the final word. I think we're going to learn a lot about the Republican conference in the next couple of days. One thing I think that we should all note is at the beginning of the year, we essentially thought that McCarthy was cooked. There was that drawn out speaker's battle for the gavel. Uh, He sort of got that confirmation from his party by the skin of his teeth. But he has held... Uh, the GOP largely together, you know, these different factions of conservatives and moderates. Um, I am not certain that moving forward uh, he'll be able to do that. But, uh, you know, we'll see if um, the Freedom Caucus is leading the train here or if McCarthy can bring them back in line. Thus far, they seem invested in his success as speaker. Yeah, we'll see. Philip, Chris, thank you so much for joining us. Certainly never a dull moment if you you. think we have quite some time before the election. Thank you so much. And speaking of 2024 contenders, a new poll out today shows several top Republican candidates slipping among GOP caucus voters in Iowa. The most notable is Trump, who's down 12 points, Ron DeSantis down six, but Mike Pence, who has staked really the majority of his campaign in the Hawkeye state, also saw a drop in support, down to 3% from 5% in May. And Iowans aren't really shy about it. This was from a campaign stop on Tuesday. We need to get the f- out of our country and get the f- out of Iowa. I'm going to put him down as a maybe. <laughs> All right. We like a little humor there, but funny or not, Pence's conservative personal values and messaging simply make sense in Iowa as opposed to maybe somewhere like New Hampshire. Voters there are a bit more rogue. And then if you take a look at Florida, well, that's really a turf war between Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis. Here's Pence last week. So today I ask my fellow Republicans this. In the days to come, Will we be the party of conservatism or will we follow the siren song of populism? But did you notice a shift after the first Republican debate on August 23rd? Pence really seemed to have changed to a more aggressive strategy against his opponents. Here he is. Now is not the time for on-the-job training. We don't need to bring in a rookie. We don't need to bring in people without experience. We need to bring All right, so what does Mike Pence have to do to pull off any kind of an upset? He's only polling nationally around 5%. Fortunately for him, Leland has him in the chair tonight. Maybe he'll ask him that very question. To preview it, we do have him on the show. He's also the host of this show. Leland, thank you so much for taking the time <laughs> as you prepare for the debate. All right, let's talk about I'm normally well, busy. the guest yeah, I'm on your... I- yeah, I'm, I'm normally busy right now okay, this, time, well. this time of day, but I'm glad to be able to join you. Look, this is the problem for Mike Pence, is he is a man right now okay. without a party uh, or without a constituency, in that the MAGA side of the Republican Party, as is, is evidenced by the clip you played, uh, views him as a traitor. And, and that's a harsh word, but that's really how uh, hardcore Donald Trump supporters view Mike Pence. On the other side, and we see this play out, Uh, The non-Trump part of the Republican Party doesn't trust him because he was so loyal to Donald Trump for so long. And the challenge for Mike Pence is, uh, as somebody without either of those core constituencies, to try to convince people, enough people in both camps, 
uh, that he can be trusted, that he is a man of principle and a man of conservative ideals, and that he is then able to lead the Republican Party, uh, not the Republican Party of Ronald Reagan, but the Republican Party where it is today. Well, when you talk about that core constituency, would you argue, argue that he has put a lot of effort into Iowa, perhaps all of his eggs so far, still very, very early, but it's a place where he could really shine, right? That's, that's his core values. Yeah. That's, he can really relate to the people there. Has he done it? Has he done it? Well, Rick, Rick Santorum, Mike Huckabee, there have been a number of people who've surprised in Iowa um, and also on the Democratic side, a number of people have surprised in Iowa. My, Mike Pence is sort of on paper the perfect Iowa candidate, right? Uh, conservative values, evangelical Christian, uh, consistent conservative values over time, very good retail politician. Uh, in, in an old world would score high on the cares about people like me meter. Uh, check, 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 check. Comes from Indiana, also an agricultural state, a rural state, same as Iowa. Okay, so why isn't he doing better? That goes back to the issues we talked about before, but also this issue. Ronald Reagan famously said about being a Democrat once that I didn't leave the Democratic Party, the Democratic Party left me. And there's an argument to be made that Mike Pence hasn't left the Republican Party. But the Republican Party or the, the core Republican electorate as it is has left him that, that there may not be a lane right now for for Mr. Nice Guy, for sort of that that old happy go lucky, strong, broad shouldered uh, politician. They want somebody right now who will really mix it up. And I think you you rightly played that clip from the debate that shows a very different and more aggressive Mike Pence than we've shown in the past. Okay, okay, so that really leads me to my next question. We saw a pivot there in August. We saw him get more aggressive, but he arguably has to pivot again in order to reach one of at least one of these core groups that you mentioned. So what does he have to do? Is he going to be able to change that? We've seen characters in the past, certainly you and I have covered presidencies where people have gone out of character and it hasn't worked. Yeah, very rarely does being somebody other than yourself work. Uh, Mike Pence is authentically Mike Pence. Um, that, that's just who he is. And I've, I've known him for a long time. And, and he is the same guy on TV as he is off TV. But I think what you're seeing is a, a less reserved person, maybe a little bit more of what Mike Pence was when he was in the Freedom Caucus in the House uh, versus Mike Pence's governor versus Mike Pence's is vice president. Uh, pivot, you know, pivots work. Resets don't. Uh, so, you know, you never saw Donald Trump have a campaign reset. You never saw Barack Obama have a campaign reset. Th this is Mike Pence's challenge. And I, I go back to uh, any time you have somebody who is as good of a politician as Mike Pence is, uh, and with the value set he has in Iowa, he's somebody who can be a real threat uh, or have a, you know, the, the flip side of that real threat to anybody else and have a real opportunity to win. Well, Leland, we cannot wait to see if maybe we see some of these more aggressive tendencies or the humor at 9 p.m. Eastern tonight. We know you're going to do a fantastic job. Of course, I would love to ask you what you're going to ask him, but I know that you would never tell. <laughs> so we'll have to wait and see. Thank you so much, Leland. I can't wait. You're going to be great.
All right, so News Nation, as you know, because you watch, right, has a dedicated White House correspondent. That would be Kelly Meyer. Fabulous. We have a dedicated border correspondent, Allie Bradley, doing amazing. But what we don't have, when I checked right before we went on air, I was told we don't have plans for it, is a correspondent dedicated to Taylor Swift. But the USA Today newsroom may think a little differently. They may think that we should consider adding one because, well, they are. Check this out. A job posting for a beat reporter to cover all things Swifty. Imagine what that says about the industry of this 33-year-old megastar Swift-era tour tickets. Well, they've surpassed $2.2 billion in sales in just North America. The entire tour is expected to generate $5 billion from U.S. consumer spending. It's looking like this would become really the highest grossing tour of all time. There are new reports USA Today needs one for Beyonce, too. So we have News Nation's senior editor, Paul, uh, Paula Frolic here. So, Paula, I want you to break this down for me when we look at this. And I tried to create an analogy. Is it safe to say that Taylor Swift has created her own ecosystem where it's almost like the whole world really just revolves around her enough to say that she's getting a beat reporter? Well, I think it's safe to say that it's hard to ignore Taylor, her cultural shift, and also what she's done for the economy. I mean, it is kind of silly to say, oh, I'm a Taylor Swift reporter, but... Then you look at it and you say, you know, is it? Back in the day, way back in the day, when I worked at Dow Jones, you had people covering certain industries and they specifically only covered certain companies. These were very big companies that would, you know, if they, if they even coughed, they would shock the stock market. And then you've got Taylor Swift. And she's not just a pretty face. She's not just a great song. She is someone who has revitalized the economy. I mean, you've got Governor Pritzker in Illinois basically saying she rebooted the entire tourism industry of the state. Yeah, and that. the Fed has even come out and said she rebooted tourism in North America in general. So, you know, you kind of look at it and you go, okay. And then you look at something like the Super Bowl, right? It's like huge. Everyone makes money off of it. She surpassed Super Bowl revenues for local businesses. And it's just, it's kind of crazy. And she does this every night. And no, and I saw that there were leaders. I think it was Justin Trudeau. The Canadian prime, you know, he was asking her to just come visit Canada, bring her tour there. And then I, I saw oh. that there were bead companies that weren't able to keep their beads in stock and, and that they, you know, friendship beads. Or, it's almost as if everything that she touches really turns into gold. And that's not an understatement how much this woman is generating. No. How is she doing this? You know, she's doing it literally night after night after night. And people don't realize that this tour goes on until November 2024. So whoever this lucky reporter is, is is going to have a job for about a year. And they have to travel internationally because the rest of the tour is international. And it's not just Justin Trudeau. You've got the president of Chile calling up. You've got the mayor of Budapest calling up her tour and begging them to come because they need that economic jolt. And in fact, she's even got her own name for it. It's called Swift Onomics. Because this is how much her Midas touch jolts these economies locally, statewide, and also nationally. Yeah, it's hard to imagine that at the age of 33, you have to wonder, you know, 
does she have the staying power? And I think you and I both think that she does. Paula, I, I'm so grateful that you joined us tonight. Yeah. And, you know, if you think about it, if, if it, it's not just young girls because you hear dad singing it, you hear mom singing it. Yeah. So listen, girl's got it going on. She's got it going on, Paula. Thank Girl, you. It's everyone, including this one. I know. I know. I've heard my husband sing it, so you are not alone, sister. Thank you. I'm a fan of love story, too. All right. Coming up. Uh, the mayor of Chicago has a great idea to solve the city's migrant crisis, and he thinks it's 10 cities. But let me remind you, this is Chicago, the windy city. And guess what's coming? Winter. What could possibly go wrong? The streets here are now completely covered in ice, and what is not frozen over now will be frozen over soon. Welcome back. America's electric vehicle drivers are increasingly unhappy with public charging challenges. Did you see this headline in the Wall Street Journal today? It turns out even Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg cannot find reliable charging stations for EVs. It's gotten so bad that the government is launching a $100 million effort to repair and replace EV charging sites. But do you remember a couple of years ago, there was that trillion dollar infrastructure bill? The transportation secretary is certainly not alone. Biden's energy secretary, Jennifer Granholm, has challenges on her recent four day multi state EV round trip. She put out this video. One of the reasons we're doing this road trip is to show people that, you know, you can travel across the country and be able to charge up. So the energy secretary's caravan quickly ran into problems with broken charges and stations that were filled with cars. One staffer even blocked the only working charger at a gas station, but then it caused so much chaos because the family who was waiting in line in the sweltering heat ended up calling the police. So these examples highlight just how difficult it is to find EV charging stations and to drive long distances. So maybe do soccer moms rely on SUVs and not EVs to get their kids around? Maybe soccer moms really do know best. Here now, founder and president of D District Media Group, Beverly Hallberg. All right, Beverly, thank you so much for joining us. I, I do want to remind our viewers of that infrastructure bill. I mean, that was in... 2021, that infrastructure bill was trillions of dollars, and now we're just two years removed, and we're asking for more money. Why? And that is because when government tries to solve what they see as a potential problem, climate change, they aren't the best ones to solve it. When you look at a company like Tesla that has innovated in this EV world, they have amazing charging stations. There's a reason why even the government has asked to provide some subsidies to Tesla so that they can open up their charging stations to non-Tesla vehicles. And that is because when you allow the free market to innovate so that they can produce products that customers want, customers buy them. So the big mistake the government is making is thinking that the government has the answer to this problem. What that ends up looking like is vehicles that cost far too much for the average American to afford, not enough charging stations, charging stations that don't work. And this whole time they're saying you have to foot the bill as a taxpayer. No pun intended. They're putting the cart before the horse on this one. Yes. And listen, um, I myself own an uh, electric vehicle. I do not use charging stations because of some of the issues that have been mentioned. But there's only three million of us on the road. There are three million people who have electric vehicles. And then you have here, if I'm not mistaken, the EPA wants to rule out gas 
Is that true? Or at least they want to phase out gas in the next 10 years. Is that right? So can you do the math for me on that one? I'm just... Yeah, it's not going to work as the math because we just aren't going to have the infrastructure. And look, I'm with you. I think that there is a place for electric vehicles. I think that we should continue to innovate with the technology. For example, those who tend to really like EVs are ones who can charge up at their home, go to work, round trip, come back. That is a perfect situation. But when you are asking people who have large families, people who need to go on road trips, and I would even add this, think about being a female, a mother with children in the car. It's late at night, it's winter, it gets dark sooner, and you're trying to find a place to fill up or you're waiting forever for your car to to charge, I should say. Think about the safety concerns of this as well. So there's so much wrapped in it. And this is when government gets ahead of the free market that tends to find the best solutions to the problem. Government's trying to throw money at it, but the infrastructure just isn't there. Yeah. And it, it, like you said, if, if they do want to make a shift, it has to be in the free market. It has to take time. Beverly, uh, I'm grateful for your time, um, uh, you know, asking for more money after we have given lots of money. So we'll we'll see what the pushback is this time. Beverly, thank you so more much for joining us money. tonight. Yep. <laughs> Thanks so much. All right, shifting gears now to an incredibly serious topic. The headlines haven't changed. Helpless migrants are flooding border entry points with no end in sight. Open-armed sanctuary cities such as New York are suddenly having a change of heart. That vacancy light is starting to go dark. Chicago is now in the spotlight. The city has 16 open shelters with more than 13,000 migrants, more arriving each day. It's estimated that the crisis is costing the city $30 million per month. And now Chicago's mayor, Brandon Johnson, has come up with what he thinks is a novel idea. He's asked all 50 of the city's council members to identify a two-acre space in their ward to build tent cities to house the migrants. The mayor says that these tents will be equipped with heating and cooling and beds and food and, and hall and water hookups to house around 200 migrants each. But you do remember that we're talking about Chicago, right? So summer is almost over, fall is in the air, and winter isn't very far. Have you seen Chicago in the winter? The city sets a new record in 2019, minus 22 degrees Fahrenheit. And that's the mayor's plan, to put migrants in tents and negative temperatures. I mean, what happens if someone gets hurt? Aldermen in Chicago are pushing back against the new mayor, saying that they don't have the space in their wards for these tent cities. And, and those tents would be used to a hope for the homeless in all 50 wards if the migrant crisis subsides. And that doesn't really leave them happy either. So Alderman Anthony Napolitano is from Chicago's 41st ward, and he joins us here. Sir, thank you so much for joining us. You know, I, I read a little bit about you. I think it's safe to say that you know, Chicago, the state of Illinois has your heart and soul. You love everything about it. You're a dedicated public servant. What is the city like now? Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, I, I wear this this city on my sleeve. Um, you know, we're going through a lot of changes over the years. And, you know, for the most part, the city is, is, is beat up. Uh, the, the paid for um, riots and looting that happened years ago, we're still building back from that. Now we have this border crisis, or I should say it's more of like a border abandonment because the government has abandoned the border, letting all these votes come in. That's what they're hoping for, I'm assuming. But our biggest issue here is aldermen like me, I voted against being a sanctuary city. Now I'm being told that we have to find uh, lots or areas to put tents um, so these illegal immigrants could come in and sleep in and stay when the city has 
hundreds, if not thousands, of vacant buildings around the city that they can use to uh, put these illegal immigrants in until they find their final destination. Like it is, it's costing us up to a tune of $30 million a month to pay for this. And a lot of this money is going to not-for-profit organizations. And we're trying to track where this money is going because clearly you can see our police districts are, are flooded with, with the uh, the immigrants. And it's just not a good idea. It's it's going to demoralize and it's going to hurt neighborhoods more than help these, these immigrants. And, you know, you, you said that you weren't in favor of Sanctuary City. I was actually going to ask you, you know, which camp were you in? And I was non-judgmentally, you know, were you in, initially in favor and then you shifted? But since I know what you're in, I, I want to know what you're hearing from some of your peers. When we talk about these temperatures in Chicago, aside from the money, aside from feeding, aside from putting all these kids in school, we're talking about a real liability of people in negative 22 degree temperatures. That, that is unfathomable. Yeah, this you never know what you're going to get in Chicago. One day you could have 70 degrees, and next day you could have minus 70 degrees. It's, it's ridiculous. You get up to four feet of snow. Uh, the ice is, is incredible. The amount of the, the, the winter fronts that come off Lake Michigan could be intense uh, sometimes. So it is dangerous. It's a dangerous situation. And when we get heavy flows, if it's, it could be a risk on some of these tents, as well as a lot of our kids still use a lot of our vacant lots in our parks in the wintertime for ice rinks that they set up, for, for sports that they still play, still play football in the wintertime here. We're a little bit crazy, but that's our, you know, it's beer weather the way we call it here. Um, you know, it's just, this is not a good idea. This is, uh, there's more aldermen are coming out against us than are for it. You know, um, before I let you go, do you feel like you're being taken advantage of? I absolutely do. I, I feel like, you know what, this is, this is a crisis that's happened and, and we declared ourselves a sanctuary city in 1985. We put no money or funding towards this. We reaffirmed it in 2021 and reaffirmed it again in 2023 and did nothing to prepare for this because it was a pandering political move because we're 1,450 miles away from the border. Now we're going to tax our residents again to pay for this issue that we were never prepared to do because we thought it'd be a great political move for those future votes. This is wrong. This is not what we should be doing to the citizens of Chicago, the taxpayers. We should not be doing this to them. Hmm. We're so grateful for your time, sir. And, and um, I understand that this is an issue that so many cities are facing. Thank you for joining us tonight. Thanks for having me. All right. When we come back, the EPA reports what residents of East Palestine, Ohio, have known all along. The contamination of their town is much worse than originally reported. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I've been everywhere, man. I've been everywhere, man. Across the desert, bare, man. I breathe the mountain air, man. I travel, I've had my share, man. I've been everywhere. Well, you saw it there. He's met with King Charles. He's been on vacation in Delaware, traveled to India, Vietnam, and even Ireland. 
surrounded by all of you in this homeland of uh, my great-great-grandmother and grandfather, uh, I feel very lucky. He's been everywhere. I mean, after all, he's the president of the United States. It's his job. But there is one place the president has not been. It's East Palestine, Ohio. That's right. Despite saying he would go and now the White House just declaring a visit will happen soon. The president will go to East Palestine. He promised that he would and he will. So nothing so far. And for residents of East Palestine, it It's easy to feel like their government has left them behind or maybe they were hoping the story would just fade away. And it really hasn't. In fact, a newly released 544 page EPA report has residents fearing that the spread of contaminants is real and is still happening. It's been 222 days since the derailment of the Norfolk Southern train carrying TK pounds I mean, of chemicals that's changed East Palestine's residents' lives forever. So 222 days since that explosion, and they promised things like uh, disperse rid chemicals and that they would they would help mitigate. But since then, the town's residents have been begging authorities from the government and the railroad to make things right. Well, just this week, the railroad company, Norfolk Southern, announced that East Palestine's historic train depot would be donated to the village. You heard me. They are donating a train station to a village whose existence is threatened by a train derailment. So joining me now is East Palestine resident Jessica Connor. Jessica, thank you so much for joining us. I I just I, I did a little bit of research here. So somewhere around East Palestine, there's around 12 surrounding airports. I checked out the flight. It's less than a two hour flight from Washington, Reagan. Of course, that's not where the president would depart from. Maybe to Akron or other places in Ohio. Same time zone. What would it mean to you to just have someone from the administration come to visit with you? Yeah, it would be great. Let's have a cup of coffee. Uh, help me open the chemical laced curtains in my home. And uh, I, I'll give you a pen and you can sign the emergency declaration so that we can get the resources that we need in order to continue to survive in this community. We either need to relocate uh, or get some health screenings, get some indoor air monitoring. These are all things that have been missing, um, you know, as a part of the EPA's efforts here, which at this point, the EPA efforts have been exhausted. Um, it's really nice to see that they are expanding the air areas of testing here in East Palestine. However, it's also very disturbing because we've been told repeatedly by the EPA that these areas are safe um, and that we have been uh, able to host a slew of activities that have been sponsored by the train company, um, including Easter egg hunts for kids, the fireworks. We've been doing this all uh, within a few feet of where they have expanded this uh, this testing for the contaminants. So it's really disturbing. Um, It's very frustrating. It has infuriated members of the community. Um, So, you know, again, if if Biden is going to come, he needs to come with some resources and that signed emergency declaration. You know, I started to go through, obviously, it's 544 pages. So I I had to, to, I started to pick through that report. And I I think what, what people may not understand is the gravity of the situation. So You know, what is day to day life like for you? What are you afraid of? What do people talk about? 
You know, I have an air monitor that is a part of an independent research study in my home. And I think one of the things that's very disturbing is that those volatile organic compounds that they say have dissipated immediately or within a few days, um, those still are very readily available and exist in our community. And my VOCs spike regularly, whether it be during the week or on the weekends or after it rains. And this is something that's very concerning. This is something that we think about every day. There are still... Uh, hundreds of residents that are displaced here that have no place to go and we are at the mercy of the railroad for any sort of reimbursement so there's no appeals program um, there's no criteria there's no guidelines as to how we are going to get reimbursed and so it's it's a day-to-day process um, and it's it's very unfortunate we we really are at the mercy of the railroad here and they are not an emergency management agency we have a, a serious tri-state ohio west virginia pennsylvania Uh, these areas need to communicate on the resources that are available. And we still do not have that, you know, almost seven and a half months later. You know, um, Jessica, I don't have much time left and I would love to to pick more about what you're going through and, and we can talk about folks trying to sell their homes, women who are pregnant trying to leave. But before I let you go, how does this, how does this make you feel? You're living in the United States. It feels like, We have just gotten a big old middle finger. I'm just going to come out and say it. That's what it feels like. I feel like my community does not matter to the president that I actually voted for. I'm one of the few in my community that did that. But you know what? When you are when you have a charge over a certain amount of people, you take care of the people in your charge. And I am here to tell you that I do not feel like Biden is taking care of us. And as a Democrat, that is is really upsetting. So it's time to step up. It's time to sign that emergency declaration to get us the resources that we need. East Palestine will continue to happen again in other areas. And in order to set that precedent, we need to sign that emergency declaration now. All right, Jessica, I, I'm, I'm so sorry. The, the computer is going to cut me off if I, don't, if I don't thank you. I just want to say I'm so grateful for your time, and we hope that a change is coming soon. Thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you, Elizabeth. Take care. All right, when we come back, Yoda, the canine who helped apprehend a convicted killer on the run, captivated the country. The dog showed more wisdom than some people covering the story. Was there any concern that he would team up with another small man? to step inside the church for a little rascal style? No. All right, welcome back. They're man's best friend for a reason. You're looking at Yoda, the dog who took down the escaped Pennsylvania inmate. Police say Danilo Cavalcante was hiding in a barn armed with a rifle, and they let the dog loose, and he brought the fugitive to justice. Subduing, subduing Cavalcante so officers could grab the rifle. He was on the run for almost two weeks. We have Chris here, who's been covering the story. Chris, am I right? Dogs just need to be in charge. Yoda, his namesake, said, do or do not, there is no try. And he did exactly that. He went in there. Why? Because the guy was armed and dangerous. And the dog was sent out to do what we didn't want to risk a human life with. And he did it. And he did it well. You can't ask for more than that. That's why dogs, not cats, are man's best friend. Not cats. You know, I just said in the break, if I ever really wanted to punish my husband or make him mad, I would get a cat. What do you think, Chris? I think that... Uh, You will open me up to waves of scrutiny, but what else is new? 
Uh, I am not a cat person. I love all animals. No. Dusty's a cat person. I am a dog person. And I believe people fall into those two categories. And the only real offense is to say that your cat is like a dog. Your cat is not like a dog. Because only a dog is like a dog. And that's what cat people need to understand. But I wish them well. And if you say that your cat is like a dog, we will stick Yoda on you. Because in my opinion, we need more Yodas in the world. Perhaps less cats and then less cat people. I but like the guy. He's all, the Yodas that- all go, no show. All walk, no talk. What's better than that? All right. Thanks, Chris. We'll be right back. Appreciate it. <laughs> Right, as we mentioned earlier in the show, our very own Leland Vittert has his hands full tonight. He's prepping for tonight's town hall. You do not want to miss it. Leland will be on with former vice president and presidential hopeful Mike Pence. That is 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central. And then tomorrow, Senator Ted Cruz is on Morning in America. So we have a lot of politics. We thank you so much for watching On Balance. Chris is coming up next, our favorite dog person. Hello, 